morning, everybody. Almost Merry Christmas. We're nearly there. I see some of those. It's mostly the guys like, yeah, 36 hours to go shopping, plenty of time. I got this. Nothing to it. Well, today I'm going to open up the Word of God, so uh, come on with me if you would. I, I got to thinking, we, um, we take a look sometimes um, in terms of like what the Bible says about Christmas, and then also like, you know, we sing carols every year, and there's the same classic carols, and then, you know, you go to the kids thing where they have a play, or there's the pageant at school, or a church thing, and, and over the years you see this, and, and we become familiar, I think, with some of the characters, and so you see things like, you know, the angels. I'm sure most of us are like, oh, I've heard about the angels, or I've heard about the wise men, or I've heard about the shepherds, and, and uh, sometimes you even hear about some other characters like um, Zechariah and Elizabeth and Simeon, the old man of the temple, and then, of course, you hear a lot about uh, the Father. The Father is sending the Son. And this is said again and again. And, and you bump into this every year. The Father is sending the Son. And then, of course, there's Jesus Christ. The Son listens to the Father, and He is coming. He's going to do what His Father has asked of Him, and He comes from heaven to earth. Unbelievable. Born in a stable. Born in a manger. And, and we see these things on Christmas cards. You, you see these things in, in the carols and in the stories. But as I looked at it, I'm like, somebody's missing. Every year, I, there's, there's a particular person that I don't see described. They're not on the Christmas cards. They're, they're not on the Christmas cards. They're not on the pageants or plays. But, but where could they be? And that would be the Holy Spirit. You see the angels and the shepherds and the wise men. We see Mary and Joseph and the baby and the father is sending the son. The son has come. Where's the Holy Spirit? So certainly the father is sending the son. Certainly the, the son has come and is born in this stable. A stinking stable with animals. Unbelievable. Maybe there's nothing left for the Holy Spirit to do. Maybe the Holy Spirit's not really as much involved in the Christmas story. He does other things, perhaps. Well, actually, as it turns out, the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully in the first Christmas. And for whatever reason, it's not really seen so much. And so what I want to do is I want to ask you this question. I want to challenge you today. What would it look like for you to say, man, I, I want the Holy Spirit to be part of my Christmas this year. What did he do in the first Christmas? And I actually would, I'd love to invite the Holy Spirit. I would like to ask, could I, I want, can I ask the Holy Spirit? Come and, and if you're powerful in Christmas, could you be powerful in this Christmas with me? So here's what I want to do. I want to show you today five of the more famous characters that you are probably familiar with from the Christmas cards and the pageants and, and the carols. But I want to show you perhaps maybe what you have not seen in terms of, look, there's the Holy Spirit operating in the Christmas story. So I want you, if you wouldn't mind, to kind of get detective on me and, and let's sift through some scripture here and let's see if we can find, I think, a hidden person in the Christmas story. So character number one, is a gentleman by the name of Zechariah. He's probably better known for the son that was born to him. His son was named John, who later became known as John the Baptist. So his dad is Zechariah. Now last week we, we looked at Zacchaeus, who we fondly called Zach. This is Zechariah, and we're going to call him Zechariah. <laughs> so this is John the Baptist's dad. Now he's a part of the Christmas story, 
because his wife was a lady by the name of Elizabeth, and she happened to be pregnant at the exact same time that Mary was pregnant, and they all knew each other, and there's some interactions that we see as we begin to move towards the manger. But we, before we get to the manger, the Holy Spirit is doing something in this first Christmas story, and it's incredibly unique through this guy, Zechariah. So here's what happens. God sends a messenger to Zechariah to tell him that his wife's going to have a baby, and he's like, there's no way that's happening because Zechariah is not a spring chicken and neither is his wife Elizabeth. They are well along in years. In fact, he really doesn't believe this messenger at all. He's filled with doubt, filled with reservations. In fact, he's riddled with unbelief. And it's so bad in him, his unbelief, that God actually strikes Zechariah mute. He can't speak. Supernaturally closes up this man's mouth. But he tells him, you are going to have a boy, and God says, you are to call him John. So months pass by, Elizabeth is pregnant, and then after John is born, they bring him to the temple on the eighth day to be circumcised, and then also to be named for the first time. Now remember, God had told Zechariah what to call his son. He told him what the name was supposed to be, but he can't speak. And in the very moment where it comes to the naming of the child, God supernaturally opens up Zechariah's mouth, and he, this is what he says, Luke chapter 1. His father, Zechariah, was filled with who? The Holy Spirit. And he, he didn't just speak, he prophesied. So this is not your average conversation. He begins to prophesy. A man who is unable to speak until this exact moment now begins to prophesy. He is literally speaking the future into existence. He is giving words to what God is about to do through his son, John, who's going to make a way for the coming Messiah. And as if that were not spectacular enough, his prophecy is not just words, it's actually communicated in music. He actually starts singing. So, God is beginning to sort of pull the strings of the Christmas story and set it into motion. He's making a man who cannot speak open his mouth and literally forecast the Christmas good news, and he's doing it through music. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Character number two. Zechariah married Elizabeth. Luke chapter one says this about her. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, they're both pregnant in this scene, the baby leaped in her womb. And look at this. Elizabeth was filled with who? The Holy Spirit, second time. Now, this is such an unusual Christmas scene right here. Elizabeth is carrying this baby. This is John that we just talked about that is going to later become John the Baptist. Mary, she's carrying the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, my question is, do you think that either of these women truly, I mean, fully grasp everything that's really happening in their lives? And I would say, I don't know that anyone really knows the answer to that, but I would say I highly doubt it. I doubt Elizabeth and Mary have a full comprehension and a full understanding of what their sons will do and what John the Baptist will do and the ministry of Jesus Christ to save the world. I, I just don't know that they've got a full mind of all of those things. Then here's what happens. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit as she's carrying John and as she meets Mary. And she starts to say things to Mary that, to my mind, I just, I just don't know how she could possibly know these things. I can't fathom how she would have all of this in her mind. And here's what she says. 
She starts talking to Mary and she says, Mary, you are blessed. And then she says, and God's favor is upon your life. Scripture actually says that Elizabeth starts speaking very loudly. She's speaking a blessing over this younger Mary. And then she begins to confirm to Mary that she's actually carrying the Messiah that generations of people have been waiting for. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what happens to her? In this moment, after speaking this over Mary, she then spontaneously breaks out into praise and worship as well. It's like the sound of music. The Von Trapps are kicking in here in the Bible. She just starts bursting into song. And then what does all this come to? So Mary, you're blessed. God's favor is on you. I mean, how does she know this? You are carrying the Messiah that generations have been waiting for. And then she starts breaking out into praise. And then here's what happens. Mary, more Van Traps, she breaks out into song. There's no singing. I wish I could have been there. She starts breaking out into song. She's praising God. And she actually begins to sing a song that in Scripture is known as the Magnificat, which is, it simply means glory or to glorify so we see another picture, a role of the Holy Spirit, a Christmas story, which results in supernatural knowledge in Elizabeth, which elicits another praise and worship, spontaneous song festival for, for God. That's character number two. Character number three, we've looked at the daddy. We've looked at the mommy. Let's look at their son. This is John, John the Baptist. So not only was Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit, but check this out, Luke chapter 1 talking about John, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, third time. Elizabeth and Mary, we know, we just looked at this, they're pregnant at the same time. So John and Jesus are both being formed in their mother's wombs. And it says, John is filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. Fascinating to think that out of the small handful of people who are first to recognize the Messiah, one of the first people to ever recognize the Messiah was an unborn child. Shows you the value of life. In fact, that ends up being the very purpose of John's life. The one who recognizes the Messiah and then says, everybody, here he is. Don't look at me, look at him. He just points the way to the Savior who's coming. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now John then grows up and he becomes this absolutely radical preacher in the wilderness. And he begins this message telling people who are entrenched in Old Testament Judaism to repent of their, I think, broken religious Judaic system. And then he starts baptizing people in water as a symbol of repentance and trust in God. And then speaking about this Christmas baby, this is what he says. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with who? Here he is. With the Holy Spirit, I'm with fire. Anyone want that as their Christmas this year? I want that. The Holy Spirit takes an older, and I haven't even mentioned this, barren woman, Elizabeth, and supernaturally creates the greatest of all of the prophets, that's what the scripture tells us, to declare to you today, this Christmas, do you see this baby? 
Can you see him? I recognize him. Do you recognize him? This is the Christmas child. Behold, he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is what is really going on at Christmas. God says, I've been powerfully at work to ensure that there is a voice in the wilderness even for you today. And that is the Holy Spirit. Will you catch what he is saying? Character number four. Zechariah, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, and now Mary. Luke chapter one says about her. She's just got the big news. She's probably in a little shock right now. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, look at these words. They are so weighty. Here, is, here he is again. The Holy Spirit. So how am I going to have a child? How? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is how you're going to have a child. And the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Go figure that one out. Some people don't believe that the virgin birth is important. I've even read books from uh, uh, Christian scholars and theologians to say it probably didn't really matter either way, that that's not an essential part of the Christmas story or God's plans or the gospel. Others, particularly from a non-Christian perspective, people who are committed to a philosophy that's purely naturalistic, look at something like a virgin birth and just say, well, that's just ridiculous. Don't be silly. To which I would say, no, the work of the Holy Spirit is incredibly essential to the gospel and to the Christmas story here. Think about what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit of God is usurping the role of a traditional father. That's what you and I know, a biological father in our lives. And so in that, we have inherited, you and I, the sinful nature of our first father, who is Adam. We are children of Adam, and we are born with a sinful nature. Who here has ever had to teach a two-year-old not to sin? Or how to sin, excuse me. It comes naturally to them, and it came naturally to every single one of us. And the Holy Spirit saying, I'm going to usurp that role he is underscoring the sinlessness of the person of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is also fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Centuries prior, in a book called Isaiah, this is what it says. This is unbelievable. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. It's prophetic material about the coming Messiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth. And they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. He came from heaven to earth. This is supernatural. Why was it important that this was fulfilled? That the Holy Spirit, who was the, the, the author of this, well, it's essential because had this not been fulfilled, then we could simply call Scripture into question at any turn. The Holy Spirit is making what God spoke true. The Holy Spirit is fulfilling he was there when Isaiah was written. He's like, I remember the day I was there. He remembers that now is the time to bring it to pass. We can go even further back. The Christmas story, believe it or not, is even found in the book of Genesis, first book, chapter three. Fancy theological word. It's, what, it's what's simply known as proto-evangelium, which just means the first gospel. Incredibly, the first Christmas story is found there. Immediately after sin enters the world, we see God saying something very distinct. 
It was certainly not the case that sin entered the world and God's like, oh, messed that up. I wonder what I'm going to do now. Hmm, let me think about this for a few millennia and maybe I'll come up with a plan. Not the case at all. Christmas was in the heart and mind of God from the very beginning. So here's a very peculiar statement. You ready for this? This is Genesis 3. See if you can find Christmas in this. He's talking about Adam and Eve. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What a strange little statement. Let me read it again. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is God speaking to Adam and Eve. Through your offspring, through your lineage, somebody is going to come who's going to crush the head of Satan. This is violent language. To crush somebody's head. This is a fatal blow of destruction. And so here's what happens. Now we see a line, a long, long line, this lineage, this generation after generation where God is coming into the lineage of Jesus Christ. And as I look at this, I'm like, oh, God is just, he's just like flexing his muscles in this stuff. He's like, check out the guns. Watch what I'm going to do. And I think the reason why he's doing it is because I'm going to show you something that I can do through the course of history that there's no way anybody could look at that and say, oh, that was man's doing. God's like, I'm going to show off a little bit. Check out what I'm about to do. And so he finds, I think, he handpicks the most impossibly difficult scenarios for lineage to have a success over the course of centuries so that everyone would look at that and say, man, this is God orchestrating his holy affairs, taking broken, broken dead-end people that will serve to highlight his power, his wisdom, his providence, his absolute sovereignty, and his glorious mighty hand at work. This could never be accomplished by mere man. So in the lineage, you bump into, and these are just examples, Isaac and Sarah. Sarah is barren. She physically cannot bear a child. And God goes, perfect. I'm going to have her bear a child. And through that lineage, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy Satan. This is God flexing his muscles. Let's have a little more time pass by. Jacob, Rebecca, same thing. She cannot give birth to a child. It's another woman who is barren. And God says, perfect. I'm going to give her a child. And through her, I'm going to strike a blow to Satan's head. I'm going to take him out. More time goes by. And we bump into Joseph. And so we have Rachel. It's the same thing again. She's barren. She cannot have children. Perfect. And through her, I'm going to pour life into her that's going to inflict a fatal wound on the father of lies. More time goes by. You think that was difficult? Mary. Let's find Mary. The Holy Spirit now goes beyond a womb that is infertile and unable to carry life. Barrenness is no obstacle to his holy plans. So now the Holy Spirit brings life, the seed into this woman, not into a dead womb, that was too easy for God, but to a womb that never encountered the consummation of marriage. 
Jesus' birth represents the final and most supernatural birth in a succession of impossible births, all in the fulfillment of God's promise. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. That is why the virgin birth is incredible. The Holy Spirit in the virgin birth is orchestrating a never-been-done-before incredible segment of God's master plan. That is God becoming flesh. The humanity of Jesus Christ. What an absurd idea. What a crazy notion. Jesus was really born. He really did become one like us. His lungs really did make that new baby born cry. He really was wrapped in our skin. The king of heaven really did learn how to walk. He really did cry for his milk. He really did sweat blood in the night. He really was lashed with a whip and showered in spit and then died whispering forgiveness on every single one of us. The Holy Spirit is simply doing what God said he would do. Last character, number five, Simeon. The last character is an old man, and the scripture says he is devout and righteous. And we find him in the temple at the end of his life, and he's praying and he's worshiping God. Prior to this, God had spoken to Simeon and said to him, before you die, your eyes will actually see the Messiah. You'll, you will get to have that. And so Mary and Joseph go to the temple, much like John. And on the eighth day, Jesus is to be circumcised and named. Here's what happens. Luke chapter 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I'll talk about that in just a second. And here it is again. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him, second time, by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Third time, moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So not only was the Holy Spirit on him, not only had the Holy Spirit said to him that he would reveal to his own eyes who the coming Messiah would be, but in this moment, the Holy Spirit literally, physically moved him into the exact right place at the exact time. The scripture says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. This means he's in mourning. Simeon was weeping. Why? Because he was praying for the nation of Israel. He was yearning and longing and interceding and he was groaning on behalf of a nation that they would repent of their sins and their rebellion and that they would join him as a righteous and devout man. More than anything else, it simply means this. He was waiting for the coming Messiah, the sinless child, the God-man, the Christ, the anointed one, Emmanuel, the one who would take away the sins of his people. And God is so kind. I will show you, Simeon, that very thing before you pass away. And the Holy Spirit is all over this. And there comes this moment where the Holy Spirit literally nudges him into the exact right place at the exact time. And he encounters Mary and Joseph and they place this baby. And now he's holding this child. I mean, more spontaneous songs and tears I can imagine in this moment. And here's what it says in Luke 2. This is, this is Simeon's own words. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation fulfilled. Isn't the Holy Spirit amazing? Where is the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story? He's all over the place. He's working powerfully. 
So the question for us is, where's the Holy Spirit in this Christmas for you? We see him in the first Holy Spirit, and although he's not on the Christmas cards, and he's really not in any carols that I can think of, we really don't see him in the pageants or the plays. He's all over the first Christmas. What would the Holy Spirit do in your life today and tomorrow, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? Wouldn't you love to invite him, to ask him? I want you to move powerfully in my Christmas like you did in the first Christmas, in and through me. Zechariah is impacted by the Holy Spirit and really he's mirroring the, the ministry of his son, the greatest prophet. God takes a man who is mute and opens his mouth supernaturally to sing prophetically the Christmas story. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, giving her a supernatural understanding of what God is at work, which results in another Von Trapp open air, spontaneous worship, songwriting and praise session. John the Baptist, a baby filled with the Holy Spirit, recognizes the Messiah who is coming and says to you today, will you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit crying out to you in the wilderness? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Mary conceiving a child through what can only be said as mysterious and miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. This is the baby in the in the manger. This is the Old Testament fulfilled. This is the sinless child being underscored. This is the Messiah being made human. And then Simeon, the Holy Spirit upon him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would see the Messiah. The Holy Spirit physically moving him to be exactly where he needed to be. And Simeon witnessing in person joy to the world. I'm holding him in my hands. The Savior, the Lord has come. God fulfills his promise to him. Let me read one final little scripture to you. The baby leaves the manger, grows up, becomes strong, is filled with wisdom, is filled with the grace of God upon him. And then, no longer a baby in a manger, now it's day number one. As a stonemason and a carpenter for the first time ever, he puts down his tools and he walks out of the, out of the workshop. Day number one of his ministry. Now he's about to begin. What are the first words out of Jesus' mouth at the beginning of his ministry? It's unbelievable. Luke chapter 4. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Here he is again. The Holy Spirit is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Somebody say amen. amen. This is good news. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit in you today, this, in this Christmas? I think he wants to do in you what he did in the very first Christmas. Power. The power of God in and through your life. He wants to take the barrenness of your life and he wants to breathe new life into you. He wants you to see the king in a manger. He wants to move you into the exact right place at the exact right time. And I believe that there are some of you here today and this is the exact right place at the exact right time. This is a divine appointment for you to hear this and experience his presence even here this morning. He wants to move you. <laughs> Could you imagine? A prophetic song coming out of your mouth. 
He wants to open up your mouth and cause you, compel you, move you to sing His praises. Because the King has come and He is sinless, humble, human, fulfilling what God said on your behalf to save you, to love you, to keep you, to rescue you. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and He's come to set you free and He's come to recover your sight. He's come to release you from prison. This is the good news. This is Jesus Christ. This is Christmas. Let's stand up and let's worship Him.